This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 177 of the Catholic Foodie, Chef Anthony Scanio and Emeralds Delmonico. Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today we're talking about modern-day alchemy. <laughs> really kind of like a culinary alchemy. If you recall, uh, alchemy is that ancient science or art where uh, an alchemist would try to take base metals and, and, and convert them or change them, transform them into gold. And uh, we're going to talk a little culinary alchemy today. It's a chef's perspective on the sweet science of Creole cooking. Back in the September-October issue of Louisiana Kitchen and Culture magazine, Chef Anthony Scanio of Emeralds Delmonico shared his thoughts on the transformations that take place in cooking. I missed it this time. Oh, well. Every once in a while that happens. Uh, But he wrote an article uh, about the transformations that take place uh, in cooking. And this is what he, he said. He said that cooking is about transformations. It's about taking simple ingredients and, through various cooking processes, transforming them into new and unexpected flavors and textures. The cooking process allows the raw ingredient, whether it's a vegetable, a fruit, a spice, or a meat, to express new characteristics that were previously unknown. I was absolutely fascinated by Chef Anthony's article, and I jumped at the opportunity provided by Susan Ford, the publisher of Louisiana Kitchen and Culture magazine, to have Chef Anthony join us on the Around the Table food show. And that did, in fact, take place just a couple weeks back. And uh, I, I have the entire show right here to to share with you today. Uh, Dave Dawson and uh, Monsignor Christopher Nolte and myself met with uh, Chef Anthony right there at... Um, uh, at Emerald's Delmonico Restaurant on St. Charles Avenue. We had a fantastic conversation with him, and I can't wait to share that with you. Now, you know, in his article, Chef Anthony shared three recipes as an example of culinary alchemy, right, of implementing simple methods that can transform a dish from mush to magic. <laughs> Zucchini and scarpacci, watermelon rind, pickles, and a cocktail called the Elixir of the Seven Powers. Uh, you know, we had such a pleasure, such a pleasure uh, to delve more deeply into these recipes and these methods with Chef Anthony on uh, on the Around the Table Food Show. And you're going to listen to that in just a minute. But I want to read to you first, and you, and you have to, if you want the details, you're going to have to listen to it because uh, I don't want to repeat myself or repeat the, the whole conversation. It, it was fantastic. It was a great conversation. But what I'd like to do is just the very uh, first couple of paragraphs of the article in Louisiana Kitchen and Culture magazine, I'd like to share that with you right now. I already read part of it, right, that quote that cooking is about transformations. And what what Chef Anthony continues, he, he writes, uh, the cooking techniques referred to as molecular gastronomy are very concerned with these product transformations. However, the transformational process has always been a part of cooking and a huge aspect of our Creole cuisine. And and for those of you who don't know the difference between Creole and Cajun, I'll give you a very basic understanding of that. The, the, the Cajuns really were more from the southwest part of Louisiana, the Lafayette area is more Cajun, uh, and, and they their, their cuisine is a bit more uh, spicy, a bit more hot. And I'll give you a simple example with gumbo. If you're talking about a Cajun gumbo, a Cajun gumbo would never have tomatoes in it. But a Creole gumbo is something you would find tomatoes in that. Same thing with jambalaya. With a Cajun jambalaya, you would never find tomatoes. With Creole, you would. Now, that's a very simple difference, right? But I think in a lot of times what it boils down to is that the, uh, uh, the Cajun cuisine was a little more uh, seasoned, well-seasoned. Uh, and the Creole was maybe a little more reserved in that respect. So when you're talking about those two, it's, it's very different. From a geographical perspective, uh, you look at um, southwest Louisiana uh, is more the Cajun, right? Uh, because that's the, the, the Acadians who came down from Nova Scotia, and they settled there on the bayou. And the Creoles really was a, a mixture of people, right? A population who, who came into Louisiana and uh, French and Spanish, and, and so is more in the New Orleans area. So that's kind of a, just a very general uh, difference between the two. And the Creole, Creoles, uh, it, it's almost, when you think about melting pot, to me, I think about the Creoles. 
So what happens is uh, Chef Anthony is talking about the transformational process has always been a part of the cooking and a huge aspect of our Creole cuisine. For instance, our most celebrated and iconic dish, gumbo, is generally built upon a roux, flour, and oil. Pretty humble ingredients. However, through careful, patient cooking, the two ingredients are transformed into the delicious backbone of our unique stew. Likewise, slow, patient cooking turns a tough beef chuck roast into a luscious Creole dobe. In essence, to be a cook is to be a modern-day alchemist. At Emeralds Delmonico, I've been experimenting with different pickling procedures and house-made liqueurs for about five years, fascinated by the wholly unique flavors created after a transformative process. The three recipes I've included to take us on this journey of culinary alchemy were our base metals or the humble zucchini, the overlooked watermelon rind, and a few spices. Once complete, our gold will be snappy, zesty zucchini and scarpacci, tangy, surprising pickled watermelon rind, and the mysterious, robust flavor of the elixir of the Seven Powers liqueur. And uh, that's how he started out his article. I was so fascinated for many different reasons, one of which is because the, um, the elixir of the Seven Powers reminded me so much of what, uh, what I encountered on my honeymoon. We went, uh, my wife and I, we got married and, and went on a two-week honeymoon to uh, Margarita Island, Venezuela, a very small island off the coast of uh, Caracas. And when you would go, wherever you went, you'd have restaurants with these uh, signs uh, up outside saying, you know, their menu or whatever, and a, and a sign would say, uh, Sopa de las Siete Potencias, right? The Soup of the Seven Powers. And I was fascinated. What is that? Soup of the Seven Powers. And apparently it's about seven different shellfish, seven different kinds of shellfish that they would use to make this sopa de las siete potencias. But of course, you have sort of a, um, I don't it's not really superstitious, I'm trying to think of the, 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 the term, just a, you know, it's fun, I guess you think of, oh, the soup of the seven powers, you know, it's going to transform you into Aquaman or something, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I've seen the same thing later, as I have in the last several years, uh, on uh, this is again, it's an Italian tradition. You talk about the feast of the seven fishes, right? On Christmas Eve, and it's it's this wonderful Italian tradition that we some folks celebrate here in Louisiana too, in South Louisiana. We have a lot of Italians here, uh, where you have this huge spread uh, to celebrate Christmas Eve, and it's it's the feast of the seven fishes. Why seven? I don't know. Maybe it's magic. <laughs> <laughs> that fits in well with alchemy, right? So I want to uh, let this interview, this conversation play for you. We were on site uh, at Emeralds Delmonico for this uh, for this interview, and uh, it was just such a pleasure to meet Chef Anthony in person. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to let this conversation roll. Hi, this is Jeff Young, the Catholic foodie and co-host of Around the Table Food Show. I want to invite you to travel with me on a special pilgrimage to the Holy Land, February 5th to the 15th, 2014. Join me as we pray and break bread together in Israel and experience the Bible come alive. More than a standard pilgrimage experience, this trip also includes cooking demonstrations, shopping in open-air markets, tours of a brewery, and a Franciscan winery in Bethlehem. The trip will culminate with a farewell supper in Emmaus, where the disciples recognize Jesus and the breaking of the bread. You can find all the details at catholicfoodie.com. Welcome to Around the Table. I'm David Dawson. I'm with Jeff Young and Monsignor Nulty back joining us with us again. Hey guys. How are you, Dave? How are you doing, Dave? Where are we? We are at Delmonico's, Emerald's Delmonico's, the restaurant that Emerald bought years ago and uh, has really transformed into one of the Avenue, yes. St. Charles Avenue's uh, leading eateries. It's on 1300 St. Charles Avenue. And, Avenue. And uh, that's Avenue, David, oh, okay. right? And we're okay. not St. Charles Street. <laughs> we're, we're, we're around the garden here. Uh, around the t- around the parish, around the table. Stop. Uh, right. So, so uh, we're we're here with with Chef Anthony, the the, the executive chef here at uh, at at Emeralds Delmonico. Tell us a little bit about how you how you got here, uh, your journey to here. We were we were talking a little bit before about your trip through Italy, where I spent some time, and and uh, and but how how did you get to to, to Emeralds to Emeralds Delmonico? In some ways, it's very fortuitous. I was uh, prior to. Um, 
Being at Delmonica, my wife and I spent just under a year in Italy traveling, eating, and just experiencing the culture, experiencing the food. And that teaches you a lot more about how people eat and, the, and you know, how the, how the cuisine comes together uh, than actually just doing the cooking itself. We did that and we came back to New Orleans and essentially I needed a job. Mm-hmm. And I came over here to apply and I ran into a f- uh, former colleague from Herb Saint. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, I know this gentleman here. Uh, Let's give this a shot. And I started working here January 2005. Uh, and um, It's a good long run at a restaurant for that It is long. a long run. It is a long run. It is a long run. Uh, we had, the, had a little thing called Katrina. And then when we reopened post-Katrina, it almost took a year post-Katrina for Delmonico to reopen to get it back into shape. Did you get, a lot of, did you get any water in here at all? No, we no, didn't. didn't think, but, yeah. uh, but we did. We had a lot of other issues. Yeah, it took a yeah. long time to take care Spoiled of. Spoiled food. Yes, bad wine. Exactly, exactly. I tell you what I, I recall just in the news was it, it, this area right here fared pretty well sure. wouldn't y'all's problem just help just, just the people were well, gone it wasn't right? just help but there was a lot of it was a lot of spoiled food all right dealing with that but when we reopened i reopened as sous chef and uh last june i took over chef de cuisine here at Delmonico. Oh, okay. i'm very honored oh great to do that and it helped steer the ship so who's officially the executive chef Ex- exactly he's the executive chef okay. of all okay. his restaurants okay of i see okay i didn't okay. realize that he said he said so, uh, the general vision and it is when you're the guy who has to cook every day i have to go I have to cook every day, but he has a lot of faith in us here at the Monaco yeah, and his, yeah, his other chef's yeah. cuisines to take his very broad concept of new New Orleans cuisine and interpret it in a different way that's particular to each restaurant right. uh, and, and to make the food on a day-to-day basis and create the food on a day-to-day basis. We here at Delmonico, uh, we are very fortunate. We here at this 100-plus-year-old restaurant. Yeah. It's Emerald's restaurant. It was also Delmonico. It's been here since 1895. It was really known as a steak place for the longest time, huh? I, I don't think so. Funny mm-hmm. enough, when the old Delmonico with the LaFranca family, it was just an old-fashioned Creole, Creole restaurant. restaurant. Very, not particularly upscale. It was very friendly, family-friendly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Emerald bought it, we uh, it, it went much went more upscale. And then about 2004, so they started dredging their own steaks here. Mm-hmm. And so that is only a short part of the history okay. of Delmonico. And we love our steaks. We're very proud of our steaks. They're right. delicious, our dredged steaks. But I think here at Delmonico, we have a lot to say about the story of Creole cuisine, mm-hmm. where it's been. These ghosts here, these walls can tell us a lot about the Creole cuisine. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> they've, seen a, they've seen a lot. Uh, the, where Creole cuisine has been, where it is now, and it's our aspiration, is our aspiration and our hope to try to point maybe where the, where Creole cuisine might be going in the future. Well, let me ask you this: you, You're you're from New Orleans. I am you indeed. grew up here. You uh, went to Holy Cross High School. Yes. You spent time in Italy. You know, so many of the chefs that we have in New Orleans now are from out of town. They of moved here. They they made a reputation. What is being from New Orleans, being Catholic, going to Italy, seeing there? <laughs> what does that add to your cuisine? I mean, what does that bring to you? I think it it gives me uh, a lot of cooking is about taste memories, taste mm-hmm. memories, and I think. And I know, growing up here, and, and then spending time in Italy, but, but growing up here, it, I, I know what that Creole flavor is. Mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't have to come to New Orleans and eat around to know it. I know it from my childhood. I know, mm-hmm. what, it, I know what a stuffed crab is supposed to taste like, because yes. you used, used to, you, you know, you'd go to the little uh, seafood market, mm-hmm. and, in, and you'd get the stuffed crabs, and on the counter would be the stuffed artichokes. Yep. So you'd, you'd, get, yep. you'd, you'd, get a dozen, you'd get a dozen crabs, boiled crabs, you get a few stuffed crabs. Oh, and... Oh, stuffed artichoke, I'll take those too. Mm-hmm. And those flavors, I, mm-hmm. those flavors, I know those flavors, they're, and they're part of me. And so I, I, can, I can use those taste memories to kind of reach back and, and, and recreate those flavors in a new modern way. Right. Uh, and in Italy, it's the same, same concept, more about than just like- Ingredients there. Huh? The ingredients is like learning the flavor profiles. What is the, um, you know, what is the flavor there? What is the, what exactly, how do these flavors co- combine together? And learning the flavor profiles, I can use those memories of the food I ate in Italy, the smells on the streets in Rome, mm-hmm. those things as mm-hmm. well, the, 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 the smells of the lemons on the Amalfi Coast, those things I can incorporate into making the, those flavors too. Don't you think that the, you know, I think there's a lot in common between the Italians and the, and the New Orleanians about eating. You know, we, <laughs> for us, it's not just about refueling, right, and getting not a bite. It's about, it's about spending time around the table with your family and friends. I mean, Italy, Sunday, what do you do? You go to Mass and you eat, and that's <laughs> yeah. it. And you spend yeah. the whole day you know yes. with with i remember yes. bring, having people over there as guests and they you know we go for lunch and we they think we're going to have a like an hour-long lunch and they're going to go look at monuments i said no 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 we're going to be here for four hours like well no no, no. i mean 
you know, not four hours for lunch. I said, oh yeah, we'll eat. We'll sit here for four hours to talk, share time around the table and not even eat. But there's a perception Americans go to Italy and they'll eat two pranzos. You know, they'll eat lunch twice a day sure. and they'll come back and they think they ate too much. I said, that isn't how they eat over there. They have a long lunch and <laughs> in the evening it's more simple. You know? Yes, very much so. But you but probably did that with a lot of friends over there, four hour, I, five hour lunches. I did. Oh, I remember I, we, we were fortunate to go to our, our a friend's house a couple times and eat it, eat it, eat at her home, and that was just an amazing experience. Yeah. It's just the, yes, the hospitality and it's yeah. the, the food, but it's just um, the it's warmth. family. Yeah, it's, it's family. family. It's or family. not, you don't necessarily see it in the, in the, the more touristy areas, but you see uh, a small, a small trattoria on a Sunday, and it's multiple generations coming right. together. Right. It's right. the it's the little children running around, right. and it's the, the the parents, and then it's the it's the grandparents. All right. hold, hold all the generations coming together, and they don't just sit there with one plate. They don't like oh. they bring you one plate, you finish it. They're little plates to cut out, and people yes. take a break and go play with the kids, and come back and sit at the table, and go out have a cigarette, come back to the table. Oh. You, you know, guys are talking weekends. I hope, because, I mean, you're not going to get anything done during a week if you're talking, right? Well, there's a reason why they don't get a lot done over there, actually. <laughs> that, <maybe laughs> that's no, because, because for them, life yes. isn't about getting it's things done. Right, exactly. It's about living life. And, and life and, happens around And they the take something like 90% of Italian men go home for lunch. <laughs> they leave the office. They go done. home. They, no, no, no. They oh, come okay. back. They come back. <laughs> they, they leave the office around noon or one. Right. They go home. They eat an hour and a half, take a little nap, and then go back to the office. And, <laughs> and you know, for us as Americans, what we would like to do is, well, no, wait, if that's how we're going to work, I'd rather work four days a week, you know, 12 hours, and then take a four-day weekend, you know, three-day weekend. No, no, no. The evidence about every day is about living that day, you know, with their families, with their friends, you know. And, uh, and, and like you said, cross-generational is the biggest. The wisdom that you get from sitting with Nona, you know, at the table and, 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 and her cooking tricks, Nona's cooking tricks. I mean, I, I had a woman, Rosadia, who I... I I spent a lot of time with her family, and she she taught me all these little little she's a piccoli trucchi, little tricks of cooking, little how to make limoncello, how to make sauces, that type of thing, and and uh, it's a big part of their culture, you know. Food isn't a sideline; no. it's it's the heart of the culture, the table. And I think that's one we have in common here. Yeah. Yeah. We have in common with uh, with the, the Italian culture is that is yeah. that food is not separate from the culture it is an expression of culture it is an expression right. of who we are it's who we are our, our, our lives revolve around the table revolve around festivals right. uh, and I think that we have that in common it's, it's a beautiful thing and I think what, we do, what we're trying to do here at Delmonico is express that culture express our yeah. distinctly Creole culture on the plate and you know yeah, a lot really of that Creole culture what happened recently just like a few weeks ago I talked with uh, Tori Salazzo who is uh, one of the chefs up at Del Porto in yes, Covington yes. and you know she grew up here Mm-hmm. And she grew up in New Orleans, and she said, you know, it wasn't until she was, I think, in California in cooking school that she actually knew what a vegetable looked like and tastes like. <laughs> because it, our, our culture here, we tend to cook things Stuff. down so much, oh, you know, right. that it's, it becomes mush in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and I couldn't help but think about that when I was reading your article recently in the, 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 the new issue, the issue that's out now of Louisiana Kitchen and Culture magazine. You talk about molecular gastronomy. Is that right? I, I do. I do. And what we do here at Delmonico is not molecular gastronomy, but however it is. It is, our, it is my belief that it's all cooking is molecular gastronomy at some level. It's all, it's all molecular mm-hmm. molecules hitting against each other and reactions happening. But in many ways, we are very much old-fashioned here at Delmonico. We take old-fashioned techniques and to produce these results. Uh, it's, and it is some, it's sort, of, it's sort of an alchemy. It's a transformation. Mm-hmm. You take something that seems, seems very basic and mm-hmm. very simple and you know, almost boring like a zucchini. Right. And through, application, <laughs> through the application of technique through a nona technique an old-fashioned italian technique a nona technique you can produce this snappy spiky uh delicious uh crispy zucchini and scarpeche mm-hmm. right and you know it's interesting because the, the one thing that we have in common here because we live with such proximity to natural resources i mean all the fish that we have all the game that we have all the the, the fertile ground i mean you can grow you can put a stick in the ground in new orleans and it'll grow mm-hmm. but but we're, we're more in touch with uh, our ingredients in a way much like the the Italians, you know, they go out into the wild and forage and their gardens and everything grows. And and because of that, there's there's an appreciation in this Catholic culture of, of God having provided, you know. Mm-hmm. People go out and pray for their fish. They pray for their <laughs> for their deer. They pray for their food to grow. And, and so you have this idea that God 
has provided these natural resources for it, we take them and we prepare them and then we feed each other, you know, and, and, and not just with the food, but with the time that we spend around the table, you know, and, and enjoying our company. And that's a, and, and it's a lot of the Italians brought that here from Sicily, too, you we know, did. and they came into this ingredients and probably saw a lot of Sicily. Very much so, very much so. And I, I think that's uh, our, our Creole Italian cuisine is just one of the aspects of our Creole, our Creole cuisine. We do t like to, uh, you know, do and reinterpret and reinterpret some old Creole Sicilian flavors here, mm -hmm. Creole Italian flavors here. Uh, for instance, on our menu, we have a guapo salad. Mm. A guapo salad. Guapo. Say, guapo. All right. That's a strange word. <laughs> yes. yes. Where do you find a guapo? A guapo. You, well, you, you'd, find, you'd find him in Naples, of course, okay. or, in, or in Palermo. You see him. He'd be that sharp-dressed gentleman who's, right. very, ah, very, right. very, who's very sure of himself. He's like, yes, he thinks he's <laughs> the same word in stuff. Spanish. Yeah. Exactly. Guapo. And guapo. Of Handsome. Course, you know. Exactly. Southern Italy, of course, was, uh, <laughs> was dominated and controlled by Spain for four or five hundred right. years. Wow. So it's a huge influence there. It was the Bourbons who controlled Southern Italy and Spain. It's like right. the Bourbons controlled New Orleans and oh. Louisiana. So what's in a guapo I salad? I have got oh. to know what's in a guapo salad. <laughs> uh, a guapo salad. <laughs> yeah. Now, it involves a bit of our word history. Now, of course, um, there, there's a, a lot of old school New Orleans Italian restaurants that have their Italian Wop salad. Wop salad. Mm -hmm. exactly. Wop salad, right. exactly. And it's a, it's a derogatory term, but how these restaurants, they kind of, they said, I want to take this derogatory term and make it our own. So it's, yeah. you can't hurt me with it now. Right. Right. So right. That, that's Is that where the word wop comes from, from guapo? Exactly. I did not know that. Exactly. Oh. Never knew exactly. that. Exactly. Okay. Neapolitan dialect. Think yeah. about this. You've yeah. heard instead of prosciutto, they say prosciutto. Right. Drop right, the right. end vowel. It. Drop the end vowel. Uh, you you spent time in Naples. Nah. So Naples, I'm sure. It's like I yeah. they're not speaking Italian. I'm not sure what no, they're speaking. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like German. <laughs> it's, it's it's bizarre, <laughs> but it's but it's a wonderful language as well. The Neapolitan tongue, but el guapo, in, in Neapolitan guapo, huh? will become o guap, o guap. Wow. Mm -hmm. ah, I see. So this so is the, our, yeah. our guapo salad. So basically we take the idea of the New Orleans, old style New Orleans Italian salad. And what we do is we, make, we take our own house-made jardinera. Mm -hmm. And we take our own house-made peppers. And we combine those and make our own beautiful olive salad. Mm -hmm. We have that. Wow. And we add a little bit of arugula to the your, your base of uh, romaine, torn romaine lettuce. Also torn, have fresh torn basil in there. Make uh, old-fashioned oregano vinaigrette. We have aged provolone cheese, and it's it's delicious. And then once again, it's delicious on the plate, and also, it, as uh, a lot of our food does, it tells a story of New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. That's right. And dip your bread in there and of soak course. up that juice. You know, of course you do. Can't take something, that. take something that's very simple and homespun. Oh, on an Italian salad, like you grew up with, going to spaghetti dinners. You have your Italian right. salad right. and you have your spaghetti dinner. We take that here and we transform that into something well, gourmet and delicious. Oh, that's great. That is fantastic. You know, we, I know we have a break coming up. We right? do. We, we, we do we, we've got to go to break shortly. And what I am most curious about is I know what most of the listeners are, uh, want to know is what is it like working for, with uh, Chef Remmel? Because, I mean, you know, he comes in and he's the chef. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's a pleasure working for Chef Remmel. Like I say, uh, he has yeah. a lot of faith in us here. He has a lot of faith in myself. And it's, uh, it's an honor to, you know, uphold, you know, as Chef Emerald's name, his reputation, and to produce uh, food in his name, in our name, and in Delmonico's name. Mm -hmm. so I think it's, it's, it's a pleasure. You know, like I say, he has a lot, of, a lot of faith in us and gives us a lot of leeway to express ourselves. You can be creative, in other words. Oh, very much so. Very much so. The menu, the menu here at Delmonico is a menu we created here at Delmonico. i tell you what, we'll pick up on that. Let's go ahead and take a break, right? We'll be right back. Welcome back to Around the Table. I'm David Dawson with Jeff Young, Monsignor Nalti, and we are at Emeralds Delmonico on St. Charles Avenue, 1300 St. Charles Avenue. Here with Chef de Cuisine Anthony, and he's, we're talking about culture and, uh, and, and the culture of food and uh, that 
we experience in Italy, we experience here in New Orleans. And one thing that Chef Anthony showed us on the break was he carries his, his fava bean around in his, in his pocket. Bean. Many Italians know the, uh, the lucky <laughs> fava beans that came from a time when there was a great famine in Sicily. And, uh, and the people prayed to St. Joseph that the famine would end. And they were reduced to where they had to eat the food they normally gave the animals, which were the, which were the fava beans. Uh, it's the only thing left. The, the rains finally came. Uh, they, they attributed it to St. Joseph. And every year after that point, they'd set up St. Joseph tables or St. Joseph altars where, where they, would, they would put the things that they could now bake. Uh, and they would offer them there on the altar, would be blessed, the breads, and they'd, they'd have breads, a big St. Joseph theme, and then all that food would go to the poor. And, and that's something that, that I just love in my own parish, at Good Shepherd Parish, St. Stephen's Church on Napoleon, is that a lot of the Italians from around the city have come, and we do a huge St. Joseph Day altar. And for the last few years, every year it's gone up. I think this year we fed 3,000 people wow. for free, for free, all wow. on voluntary donations. Really? And it's, and it's all, you know, it's during Lent, so it uh, doesn't matter it's a solemnity there's no there's no meat at all it's all pasta but it's all the things that, that the Italians brought over that their culture the stuffed artichokes the olive salad uh, and, and a lot of symbols and and so the fava beans are there as symbols of a time when they were living living in famine but 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 it's it's their faith you know that that they brought over the belief that St. Joseph I mean the, the Italians think that St. Joseph was Italian right okay. I mean, he, 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 he didn't well, uh, he Mary? didn't grow up in Palestine yeah Blessed Virgin Mary of course you know Mary Vergini you know and, uh, <laughs> but let, me, the, let me let me ask you all something uh, because this is something that kind of surprised me. I thought St. Joseph's altars were done all over the country. No, and, well, and, and a lot of folks I talked to, they'd never heard it of them. It comes from Sicily, and see what you had, the, the immigration routes out of Italy, mm. one ran from Sicily to New Orleans, and the other ran from Naples to New York. So New, New York got most of the Neapolitani, right. and we got, because most of the people, when they arrived, they didn't get on a train and go anywhere, they yeah. just arrived they where just, they were. They so okay. we have right. more Sicilians, and, and that devotion is a Sicilian devotion because of a famine that and happened down in Sicily. we're New Orleans, because we're Catholic, therefore it is a tradition more here than anywhere else? No. No, no, because the 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 New Yorks they has Italians too, too and okay. they're and they're and they're Catholic too. But the, the devotion to Saint Joseph from Sicily came from the came from Sicily to the Sicilians who emigrated on the route that went to New Orleans, as opposed to the ones who went from Naples, which is further north, to New York. They, gotcha. Those are the two cruise routes back at that yes. time. Gotcha. And they do have and so, other Saint Joseph altars, kind of like devotions. Illinois, I've read, and Buffalo, where they, where, they are, yeah. where the Sicilians where the Sicilians went. Right. Of course, in New York with the Neapolitans. Uh, they have San Gennaro. That's right, big San Gennaro, whose festival was just a few 19th, weeks ago, 19th, September 19th, right, right. which yes. is a great story because <laughs> they every year on 19th, they have a vial of San Gennaro, San, oh, San Januarius, and his blood. And, and you know, every year the the, 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 the people from Naples, from Naples, they they get there, and boy, it's you're gonna have a bad year if San Januarius's uh, blood doesn't doesn't uh, liquefy, doesn't liquefy, and it Vesuvius, did just uh, yeah. last week. It did liquefy, and so it means Wait, a good omen for the what, year. Vesuvius Man. is gonna blow. Maybe, it, it, it could actually, be. It could be. When we know? were living in Italy, actually, I was lucky enough, they, uh, they have. September, September 19th is the festival of San Gennaro. Yeah. Right, we, we were talking about Gennaro. it last week. Yep. The first Sunday before. of May is a procession of San Gennaro, and I was lucky enough to be there in Naples for oh, that, wow. and that was a wonderful, wow. do the procession through the old quarter wow. of Naples uh, with the, the bands, the priests, the banners, the people yeah. uh, carrying around the vial of blood, and then you go to uh, you go from the you go from the Duomo uh, to uh, Santa Chiara, and then uh -huh. you... They say the homily and there's liquefaction and it's amazing you have all these silver and gold busts of the of the of all the various saints you carry through the street yeah. really? they're throwing rose petals from the oh, from the wow. balconies down yeah. to the street and yeah. it's like Mardi Gras it's <laughs> except for rose petals are coming at them and then you go have a wonderful lunch after that's that it, that's you go it. have a wonderful it's lunch feast. Right? for five hours it's like us in New Orleans anytime we have a, if you have a big party you can't just have a party it's got to be a meal it's, it's got to be, be a meal. Some, food's got to be involved with it huh? but it's a but it's a huge Huge devotion there, and, and every year I gave a homily on San Januari. We they, we say in, in English San Januarius, you know, right. but in Italy it's a San Gennaro. But uh, but I gave a homily on him in 2001, and literally to this day, 
I will have the people who heard that homily will email me, did it liquefy today? Did the blood liquefy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I've got to actually go on and Google in Italian because right, the Italian people it. will pick yeah. it up first. Yeah. And it may not even, we, you know, a lot of people no. don't even know about the devotion in, right. in America because it is yeah. a typical Neapolitan, you know, saint from, from Naples. And, and so more New York, they would know about it. We're, we're down here, we're more St. Joseph. Now, every oh, yeah. church yeah. has, you know, statues of Mary, statue to Joseph because Joseph is the patron of the Universal, Universal Church. church yeah. But that special devotion, I tell you, my people in my parish, they're not doing this uh, St. Joseph altar uh, just to, to like have food. Just it's have they have fun. a devotion yeah. to St. Jo- they sure. love St. Joseph and they think St. Joseph helped their their grandparents and great parents, grand grandparents come over here. I have, a, I have the guy who's the head of my uh, my St. Joseph altar in my parish. One of them, Hunter Harris, he believes he was cured from cancer because of St. Mm-hmm. Joseph intercession, and so he will do one of these forever. Uh, well, that, that, that's, that's the amazing thing I think about that particular devotion, the St. Joseph altar, is that everyone I've talked to, and I've for the last five or six years, every year I've interviewed somebody about their St. Joseph altar. Mm-hmm. And every single time, it's for a specific, it, it's in response to a specific request that was granted. Right, right. You know, really? it's not, it's it is not healings, just cultural. It's it's it is, not it, cultural it is more, it, it is, is a depth faith. of faith that it's goes faith. there. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. Because, you know, if it was cultural, you gradually move into another cultural oh, dimension, sure. you know, become yeah. New Orleans. No, this is a, it goes back to their their home country and St. Joseph and personally to their devotion, you know, their right. personal devotion personal to St. Joseph. And I, I want to say, though, that they're, they're, the, the same phenomenon has happened around the world in different places, but a lot of times in other places it's called St. Joseph's Table. Right, right, right. But right. here in New Orleans we call it St. Joseph Altar. Yeah. And I hear, I think a lot of the, you know, I know in my parish when these guys wanted to do it and they were going to set up the altar outside, I said, why not do it in the church, you know, where these are offerings, we're going to bless the offerings anyway, so why not do it? And so we have a gorgeous St. Joseph statue with an altar in front and we just put the tables in front of there and and yeah, I think the blessing actually says the table that's from the book of blessings, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. but it, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a devotional thing. It's, it's uh, and all the stuff then does get, you know, sent to the poor is a tradition, but everything Except for is those given lucky away beans, you know, you got well, to, everybody, you gotta, you gotta, you everybody walks out with a bean I, 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 and I a little St. Joseph medal. My kids love it because, yeah. because we, we actually, now that the people who do the altar, we do a cookie baking day where after mass on Sunday, we get a team, I don't now, know, a hundred people in there making the little, the little small cookie. And then that when St. Joseph comes, it's invariably a school day. And so my school kids come and they get to look at the altar, but they all get a cookie and they all get a medal and they all get a, all get a bean, you know? That's right. Well, now, I, Chef Anthony, this is something that you're familiar with and that course, you've grown up with I'm and everything. Have you participated in an altar or did you just uh, do like we do and just run around and eat from them? I mostly just <laughs> run around and eat from them. I, 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 I spent a lot of my time here at Delmonico, and I, I don't haven't had time really to participate in one. Right. But I remember that as a growing up as a child, going with my grandmother to go and you'd go to homes more back in right, back right, then. exactly. But now they're more in churches, but back you know. 35 years ago, they're more sure, in people's homes. Right. Uh, it was a private homes. devotion. Right? Yeah, it was, yeah. very much so. In fact, we went to this past year, we went to St. Stephen's, and we went to someone's home over on uh, Chapatula, so which was really interesting. Oh, yeah. But I just remember, I, I always as a child, having my, your lucky fava bean, a little dried fava bean. Yes. I keep them one in my wallet now. And mm-hmm. it's interesting, is that like I never knew as a child, or even I was, I was an adult before I realized, Fava beans are, you can actually eat them and they're, they're right. delicious. Both the dried fava bean, like you have on the altar, and the fresh fava bean, which, which are in season from uh, spring till, um, you know, through late summer, the fava beans. And, and so that's something we can experience. Yeah. I, you know, I just you, carried them around. I didn't no, know. No, no, they are. They are. You know, they will, you can do a puree with these, uh, the dried right. fava beans. Just are you like talking a chichi, just yeah, like exactly. the uh, chickpeas, the chickpeas, hummus. Like hummus. So you make a hummus yeah. out of hummus. fava beans. You can also, you can make it like a, tight, like a hummus or actually in Egypt they call it ful, and right. it's a very oh. popular dish there. Uh, you can you can trace the fava bean all around the Mediterranean, and then you can trace it from the Mediterranean to New Orleans, of course. Hmm. It's interesting how the cuisines work. But uh, yeah, you can also make a, a, a soup uh, out of that. Yep. Thin puree soup. Uh, they call it a mako in, in mm. Sicily, a mako di fave. Mm. I remember it was interesting. Years ago, I was talking to my father. He's like, "Yeah, and I had I had fava bean puree." And he's like, "Fava bean puree? I haven't I haven't had that since I was a kid." But, but he <laughs> remembered it. He remembered, he remembered it. it. Yeah, yeah. But once again, that's something that was over the course of uh, uh, you know post-war homogenization and so, you know, that right. was had been kind lost, of lost yeah. had kind of lost. So I think what we can, what we can do here at the Monaco is kind of rediscover our our mm. cultural roots, our cultural our Creole cultural roots, which include 
includes the Creole Italian, includes mm. the French and the Spanish Creole, includes the, the Afro-Caribbean Creole, which is mm. all part of our culture here, our unique culture here in New Orleans. And our what goes cuisine. into the fava bean puree? And what else do you put in? You have garlic <laughs> yeah, and olive oil? Here comes our recipe oil. of the week. Garlic? No, no, it's, it's very simple. And then um, garlic, olive oil. Uh, to make a the fava bean puree, what you want to find actually are the ones that have already been peeled. You find those actually in the uh, Middle Eastern markets. Okay. These are the, the ones that aren't peeled work. But what you do, you'd be garlic, olive oil, lemon, uh, as well as uh, fennel fronds or fennel. That would mm. be a very typical flavor because the, the, the fava beans are very, the puree is very earthy. But to bring okay. it some, give it some snap and zip, you need oh, that, you need right. some lemon yeah. to give acidity. And you need to use that fennel, which is a very typical typically uh, Sicilian flavor to give it some uh, sweetness. They even put that in the cookies. Exactly. The, 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 seed the, in the cookies. The anise seeds in the cookies, the cuchidatu. The little anise seed cookies or the, the mm. little sesame seed biscotti as well. No. You know, I really wanted to ask you because I, I looking through the magazine, Louisiana Kitchen and Culture, this, this current issue, you know, you have three different uh, recipes in yes. here that you shared and one of them is the Elixir of the Seven Powers. Yes. Now, immediately, I thought back to my honeymoon which was in uh, it was on margarita island in venezuela yes and everywhere we went all these restaurants would have these uh signs out you know you can get the sopa de las siete potencias <laughs> right the soup of the seven powers and yes my uh, my brother-in-law loves to cook and every uh, christmas eve he does a big uh, kind of italian sicilian type uh dish which is the the seven, the, the seven fishes the seven right fishes. seven fishes right. and so when i saw the the elixir the seven powers I'm t- I was like wow the elixir you know, what, what what is this all about well, it's it's a, it's a it's a very old fashioned uh, Sicilian uh, uh, after dinner digestif or digestivo oh, yeah. uh, and it involves seven different ingredients and now seven powers now uh, it's very popular obviously siete siete potencias sete potenti seven powers mm-hmm. seven in the popular imagination has is a special number it's a, sure. it's a lucky oh, number sure. has, yeah, has yeah. powers oh, yeah. to it seven and sacraments yeah. seven, 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 yeah. seven, Holy seven days exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> seven so, days of creation so exactly so that obviously goes probably goes back to that thing obviously sure. uh but this is an old it's an, it's an old-fashioned um Digestive, and I found a recipe in an old Sicilian cookbook, and it wasn't, it didn't li- it just listed in the ingredients, not the ratios. Right. Ah. And I kind of figured them, uh, played around with different ratios, and made a beautiful after dinner drink that you can make yourself at home, which you have a, a recipe there. Right. And so y'all make and this is it here. like an y'all infused thing, like it is. It's an infusion. Type it's, it's, of thing? Yeah, we make limoncello here. We make right. uh, rucolina, which is a rucola right. liqueur sure, from sure, the island sure, of Ischia. Sure. Yeah. Oh, wow. We make our nocino with green walnuts. We mm. make mm. Uh, also we make meloncello. Meloncello. Yeah. Yes. So roughly, what yes. goes into this? <laughs> roughly, yes, it goes. There are seven powers. Basically, you make a neutral spirit. Say, in this case, we use 100 proof vodka. Okay. And then you take the first five ingredients, which I, I think I can remember them offhand: cinnamon, clove, mint, vanilla bean, and anise seeds. You infuse that over the course of seven days, of course, right. into your neutral mm. spirit. On the seventh day, you don't rest. God you rest. rest. You, you don't, don't rest. rest. <laughs> Just the opposite. For chefs, there are no rest. <laughs> on the seventh day, you make a, a simple syrup, simple sugar, syrup. And water, sugar and water. And, yeah. and in the simple syrup, you have the, t- the last two powers. A pinch of saffron, mm-hmm. which is expensive, but you don't need a whole lot, right. and a little bit of orange flower water, which you both find mm-hmm. at Martin's Wine Cellar has orange yeah, flower sure, water, sure. or... You can also Famous find it here. at the Middle Eastern markets. They have orange flower water as well. A little bit of mm-hmm. that in there, and then you com- then you combine that with your with your other ingredients in your vodka, your neutral spirit, and you strain it, and then you let it rest for another seven days, and then you have a beautiful elixir, which mm. which is both very. Uh, Potente. Yes, very powerful. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to end your meal. It's a, I think does it help digestion? I don't know. It, it's, how, it how do you serve it? Do you serve Who it uh, do, <laughs> chilled or do you serve uh, it room temperature? Slightly chilled, slightly but, a, chilled. but like a cool room temperature. It's, okay. it's, a, it's not it's not like a it's not like a limoncello. A, they freeze it and stuff yeah, like that. Limoncello we do freeze, but at seven powers you something. It's more for contemplation. You sit and you sip on it and you contemplate what a lovely evening you're having and how wonderful these flavors are and how lucky you are to be here at Delmonico. Oh, <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. How that lucky you are to be alive, right? Yes, you know, that you just so. had this very great meal so. and you're with your friends. Well, I, I tell you what, we hit a point where we got to take another break. So uh, y'all ready to do that? And then uh, we'll be right back. Uh. 
Welcome back to Around the Table. I'm David Dawson with Jeff Young and Monsignor Nalsey. We are on 1300 St. Charles Avenue. Got we, it. Hey, see, I nailed it this time. <laughs> we right are on the streetcar track. We are honored to be at Emeralds Delmonico, and we are speaking with uh, Chef Anthony Scanio. And uh, Susan Ford has uh, pulled up a microphone here because... We've been talking, boy, when we're on break, we, we could do a whole nother show. We've been talking the Italian foods and the elixirs and everything that's been going together. But, boy, I tell you what, the cover of your magazine, this this latest issue with the muffaletta on it, uh, talk about that. Doesn't it make you want to pick one up and take a bite out of yes. it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is that a central grocery muffaletta on the it cover? not. We it's wanted a- to get it out of New Orleans a little bit because the magazine has statewide distribution. Oh, good. This one comes from Norjo. Which Norjo. Is- M- sure, right. Company uh, my parents live blocks Road. from there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had not been in there until we started working on this piece, and we'd emailed a few friends and said, well, what do you think? Where should we go? And they're like, all of them, go to Norjo, go to Norjo. Yeah. And you walk in, and it just smells They like slice all their own place. meat in there. And, and, you know, for years, that was one of the few places in town you could get prosciutto and salami, and, and they also have, you know, some beautiful olive oil. They had truffles where mm-hmm. you couldn't get truffles anywhere in mm. town. I'm talking 20 years ago. I mean, Norjo is just a, just a wonderful place. for Make their own olive salad there. Yep. A lot yep. of the, uh, the few times that I've been in there doing the photo shoots, three or four chefs walk through every time yeah. you're there. So you know you're in the right place. Oh, yeah. And they've, then they've the got people, things you can't find other places. The people who get out in the neighborhood to walk for exercise, they take a, a turn through the store because it smells so good. Yeah. You know, and that defeats the whole purpose of the exercise. <laughs> Bring home a muffalata, right? <laughs> yeah, go on a walk and pick up a muffalata. That's, that's what a, I would do. Awesome. At least you <laughs> the walked sausage. there. <laughs> well, well, now, um, uh, we're talking also about this issue because uh, Chef Anthony has an article in there, huh? Yes, I was here for dinner back, I believe it was in February, and um, we were talking, and when he mentioned that he was an English major originally, I was like, oh my gosh, a chef who's not only really talented, but can also probably write, that's a treasure. Let's see what I can do here. (laughs) And now he can't say he's unpublished anymore, too. He's got the article under his belt. Now, the article article is about what we were talking about earlier, the transformation of... Yeah, the, it's taking, the taking very simple ingredients, humble ingredients, uh, that perhaps overlooked, and transforming them through technique, uh, a, bit of al- a bit of alchemy, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. the base metals into gold, taking these base, basic ingredients and transforming them into something delicious and transformative, something that doesn't, you wouldn't necessarily think of when you think of that ingredient. For example, the zucchini as opposed to being very mild and soft, right. we think we, it's, it's, it's richly flavored and it's crisp to it. Through mm. our technique, or we also have water, watermelon rind, which generally winds up in the trash can. What yeah. we do is we preserve it, we pickle it, and that's taking something. So it's very humble. And finally, uh, my article, our article, we talk about uh, one of our digestives, one of our house-made liqueurs we make here at Delmonico, taking some these very basic ingredients or very easily uh, gotten ingredients, and through the power of infusion and and time Mm. uh, and patience, allowing them to create something that's new and different that's beyond the sum of its beyond the sum of its parts pickled mm. watermelon rind that takes me back to my childhood because my grandmother did it and i remember looking at the jar going i'm not eating this <laughs> <laughs> and when i tried it it was amazing yes. so i mean do y'all do the old traditional type or what do y'all so, do what we do is basically basically uh we, we take off the watermelon rind you have to take off the the skin as well mm-hmm. because the skin is, is it's very chewy it doesn't doesn't pickle well take that off as well and then we basically you, you we make a pickle a, a pickle that has a little bit of sugar in it yep has allspice a little bit of cinnamon yeah. uh, uh with distilled vinegar and then what you do is you, you you boil, you simmer, you rind in that pickle. At that oh. point, until it fe- when it feels about right, that crisp, tender, mm-hmm. you take the you take the watermelon out of that pickle, you set it aside, mm-hmm. and then you reduce that pickling liquid down by about by about a third or so, so it looks kind of syrupy. Syrupy, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. At that point, uh, you pour it over the watermelon, and you and then it's good to go. You keep, you, you keep the in jars. You keep that in your refrigerator uh, for months. What would you covered. serve it with? What would I serve it with? Well, obviously, <laughs> I, I, we. Uh, I would serve it with uh, jerk lamb loin, of course. 
with, I'm sorry. Jerked lamb loin. Jerked lamb loin, of course. Oh, well, next well, time I jerk a lamb loin, I'll... It's like something richly flavored, and you get the pickle bite. All right. Sweet. Kind of well, breaks the richness. What you'll see is that you'll serve it a lot with, uh, with like, barbecue. Mm. Oh, it's the same, And with I the jerked see. lamb loin, it's the same yeah. concept. That barbecue, yeah. that rich, a little bit of salty, smokiness, and yeah. then you have that, uh, that nice pickle to kind of... It will cut and cleanse the palate after that. Yeah, and then what we do here at Delmonico, we, we do a, a jerk spice lamb loin, and that, that watermelon pickle with that helps cut that richness, and it all kind of fits together really nicely in the dish. My goodness. Kind of very much a Creole dish, bringing together some African ingredients, some Caribbean inv- ingredients with some traditional New Orleans ingredients, bringing it all together in a cohesive dish. Yeah. That's I what like I would do you with have it. A, great, uh, a great pointer on your recipe here that you... You, it begins with one four-pound watermelon rinsed of dirt, <laughs> which I think is an important uh, factor. Go pick them out of the no, field. You've got to rinse you, them. It's really true. The first time when I was taught to make limoncello, the first thing that we did was scrub the heck scrub out of the lemons. lemons to make sure that you don't have any, you know, bacteria or anything dirt or something weird in there that's going to change the whole. It could ruin the whole batch. Could, you know, oh, yeah. you could ruin it. And there's also artificial stuff. You go to the stores now; oh, they put, wax, spray wax on wax, the on the lemons. Yeah, so when I make limoncello, I try to get them from somebody's garden where they haven't uh, they haven't done that. But even if you do, you still want to scrub those things scrub those things down and make sure that that thing's been traveling with a lot of people's hands on it. You know, you yeah. you don't <laughs> no, want that right. in your uh, limoncello. I'm sure the alcohol might help a little bit, but uh, best to birds cut tend that to out. like lemon trees too. So. Birds do spend some time. <laughs> I uh, thought about that. Uh, 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 oh yes, uh, I don't want that in my. Uh, in my lemon those are little either. pointers you know a lot of times people read a recipe and when a lot of times when chefs are writing recipes they're writing it for their own reminders but they're it's the little details that don't go into it that you learn like i could get a, a recipe for a, a spaghetti a tomato sauce from an italian grandmother and it'll have all the ingredients, but it will not tell me what she did with those ingredients. <laughs> exactly. And watching her make it with those ingredients, you go, ah, I wouldn't have done that. Ah, I wouldn't have done that. That's, 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 that's what you're talking about in this article, then. It's mostly the technique? A lot of time, yeah, a lot of times it is the technique. It's in terms of, um, like, the Elixir of Seven Powers. This is I, this is a recipe that we created here at Delmonico mm-hmm. uh, based upon an old uh, elixir that was just a list of ingredients. And you find that in the old cookbooks, even the old Creole cookbooks like Lefkari O'Hearn or the yeah. Christian Woman's Exchange cookbook. It's the typical of older cookbooks and t- still typical of Italian cookbooks is they assume a certain knowledge, a certain, a certain right. use, you understand how to cook. It's and been so, passed on to you, exactly. so you know where you are. And so right. the, the, a lot of times the, the cookbooks will just have a list of ingredients, and you're like, well, of course you know how to do this. Then that's it. Good luck. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, a lot of times, you know, in 21st century America, that's that's kind of been, we've, we've lost that. Yeah. Right. And so the cookbooks have to be much more detailed in terms of, like, technique and uh, and also pictures process. because people don't know how to do certain things you well, know, like, pictures mm-hmm. are wonderful it's like, like what is it supposed to look like it's like right. oh it's supposed to look like that right. where am I exactly and that's so, what I like about this magazine yeah, I'm looking just, at the pickled watermelon right <laughs> <so. laughs> mm. yeah, the hard part about uh, these food magazines is looking at this you, you get your, your stomach starts growling as you're does. looking at all the pictures you know they in the industry they call it food porn that's exactly what we call uh, it because it's made there to like I know you're probably surprised to hear me use that word but that's the industry thing and it's People who and, and I tell you, I've watched photographers sit for two hours well, on, we on, just a, on a dish, mm-hmm. but waiting for things to happen for it to get the perfect viscosity and 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 shine. And you know, they'll play with little different things to try to make it look. Oh, right. oh, mine Su- never looked like that. Susan's by the way. food photographer uh, uh, recently. Uh, had tweezers out um, oh, manipulating a, a bite of a pot pie and yeah. making it pretty with the tweezers. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I, I was actually yeah, holding yeah. the fork and, and, and he's positioning the vegetables with tweezers. So, yeah. I mean, there's a science there. But it has boy, to make it look, look appetizing on the page. We don't over manipulate our food almost always when we're done with a photo shoot, unless it's one that's gone on for a long time. You can actually eat what is there yeah, right. when and you're done. And these guys took it home with them. Oh, so yes. they ate well the other night. But. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, no, it's it's very important to get the photography out there. I mean, that's what entices the the senses and 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 gets sure, people looking at it, sure. and getting them. T- and well, hey, that's I why God that. gave us all the senses, you know, and, and and a lot of our senses work together. But you know, if something you, you watch kids eat, if if something doesn't look right, they they're not going to touch. They're not going to touch know? it. And uh, <laughs> and, and it's got to it's got to be the the blend of the the smell and the taste and the sight and texture, and, you know, and oh, yeah, the textures texture. that people try and yes. and 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 all that uh, is what makes something makes a dish appealing. And 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 it, and it is the same thing. You can serve the best 
food in the world, but if you don't have any atmosphere in your place, your food's coming out on a conveyor belt, it's part of the whole holistic experience, which is the using what God has given us in terms of the food and our own appreciation of it through our sight, our smell, and our taste that, that makes a, a good meal, and then sharing that with each other. Absolutely. And in my job, what I really love working with these chefs is that they do just like Anthony has done, is really take something that you would never would have thought about yourself and, and give you some technique and some inspiration to go out and try something. Mm-hmm. And what I find and what our readers tell me is that they begin to grow, and then all of a sudden they find themselves thinking, well, maybe I should try a different cuisine, something that I've never um, broadened my horizons into before. And that's what I love about the magazine. Of course, yeah. I also have to spend time on the treadmill on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> it must be. You know, we, we, you, we're talking about uh, the, the ingredients that God provides us, and, and this is the trend I'm starting to see everywhere. And as Chef Anthony, I'm sure you're doing the same thing too as far as locally grown fresh vegetables and such. I mean, you... you, you Knowing the sources the of your food. Uh, of, of course, of course. We source a lot of things locally as much as possible. Uh, Covey Rice Farms is a huge resource. They, it's wonderful because we as chefs don't get time to go out to the markets very often. Right. But they bring the market to us on, on their van and it's, it's a huge resource. Uh, but yeah, I think that's... Uh, Eating locally is, 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 is huge these days and something that and obviously in the past was done more and uh, the, the food system, the design, post-war, everything would come from California or Mexico because it's just more efficient that way. But we lost a lot of flavor environmentally. It's much more damaging. So I think we're rediscovering that and uh, that you grow what grows locally, you eat, that's what you eat. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, you know, we've talked about on the show before, you know, nowadays a lot of people – they go look in a magazine. They say, I'm going to cook that for dinner because it looks really good. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Italy, the women walk through the marketplace that day and they see what yes. looks good. And yes. they said, that's what we're going to cook is what, what looks good out there. What you got, and, uh, right? Well, what's, what's, yeah. and, and, you know, you eat very seasonally in Italy. I mean, you, <laughs> there's, there's certain times, like now's the time for porcini mushrooms. You know, now's the time for, for uh, asparagus. You know, now, and, and they come out and while, you, while it's there, everybody's eating that, eating and all you can. Eat all the porcinis you can because they'll be gone soon. You know? <laughs> we, we take that into consideration actually as we're planning out the magazine sure we sit do. down yeah. with the charts from the department of agriculture and the seafood board and 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 say okay this is going to be on sale from september until the end of october what's going to be in season what are people going to be able to find fresh and yep. locally at the markets we have um, it here in new orleans you know we have the seasons what are our seasons crawfish season king cake season you know we got <laughs> white shrimp brand white shrimp brown shrimp <laughs> soft shell season soft shells soft right oh i just picked up some soft Oysters. shells last week when, when uh, is it soft shell season now you can oh, get them right now yeah, yeah. Some, fabulous. Uh, right now, yes. Okay. I go fishing. I went fishing last week, and the guy I fish with, his son does soft shells, and I, I got a dozen from him as, <laughs> as I was leaving. And, you know, it is one thing to get soft shells. It's another to get them when they're alive. Yes. Okay, they're still alive, <laughs> but they can't bite you because no, they're they're, just, they're, their pincers are just, just like this. But that's, you know, when they're alive and you and you fry them, that's when you get this this fabulous, you know, you know. Now, we got folks in Ohio shell. listening right now and okay. they don't know what the heck we're talking yeah, about yeah we're, we're talking about well let's just mention that you know we have crabs most people know at least what a crab is but but crabs people some people don't know shed their shells they okay they yeah. molt and when they shed their shell if you take them out of the water within two or three hours their it's shells really are fast. paper thin mm-hmm. and uh and then you can fry well what you do is you clean out the the lungs and you usually cut off the eyes which can be bitter and the and the tail and then you fry them whole and you get a little you get a little bit of a texture from the from the shell but it's very very little you eat the eat the things whole i tell you my little my little niece when she was about six years old and she's grew up in chicago i remember bringing her to a restaurant here and she got soft shell crab tacos okay? oh. and they were and they were soft shell crabs that weren't even didn't even have any breading on them and they look like bugs okay yeah. they look like a bug they do and, they look like a spider and, my, and yeah. she no, loved these said six years old i wouldn't have i, I would have thought you're looking like a bug it looks like a roach <laughs> you know but boy they're good well yeah. speaking of soft shells we uh we have a technique we do here at Domonico. We, we they come in live and this is a you see that i've seen this and they do this in italy and venice mm-hmm. where they get the soft shell crabs also i've seen in some older uh creole cookbooks you don't what you do is while they're still alive you make like a little egg and milk custard and you kind of feed them right i've heard that oh yeah, come heard on that. Yes. So they, yeah so right. they actually yes. gets plump, in their stomach plump them yeah. up a little bit well, guys, them. we have run out of time uh it's time to uh, get the grocery store right when we got to the good <laughs> stuff too i know it, it always happens that way before we leave uh, uh, i want to thank uh, father anthony scanio yes. for, uh, for joining us My We're pleasure. At, uh, and and uh, thank you uh 
uh, Delmonico's, uh, Emerald Lagasse's Delmonico's, Susan Ford, thank you once again for joining us. And uh, Monsignor, would you give us a blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Take care.